I know that you're basking in the afterglow. Ohio State has clinched a Big Ten East championship, a division title. They will be going to Indianapolis to play the winner of this week's Wisconsin-Minnesota game. But first, it's the game. Yes, this is Locked On Buckeyes, and we are here to review the Ohio State 28-17 win over Penn State in preview the game Ohio State and that team up north coming up on Saturday. I'm your host, Kyle Lamb. We are here at Locked On Buckeyes on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply say, play Locked On Buckeyes on your smart speakers. Man, so much to talk about today. I'll discuss the vanilla effort by the coaching staff in Ohio State's win against Penn State, and I have a theory as to why they did it. I will explain the play calling and why they went so conservative against the Nittany Lions. Does Michigan have a better team than in the early weeks of the season? Yes. Are they a full-blown machine? No. I will tell you what I see about Michigan, that they're not quite clicking on all cylinders, as some would have you believe. And we'll talk a little bit about Ohio State basketball as well. We're just a little over a week away until the big showdown in Chapel Hill against North Carolina. But I'll tell you what I saw from the Buckeyes on Friday and a couple of minor games for Ohio State basketball coming up this week. The Locked On Buckeyes podcast is brought to you by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye. Licensed in 33 states and more on the way. Please check them out at jfqlending.com. We are also here with support from GoBus with over 40 stops across Ohio to popular destinations like the Hocking Hills, Mohican State Park, and Ohio's big cities. Visit them at ridegobus.com. I was thinking about this win a little bit more over the weekend. Here's the thing. I've come to the conclusion that Ohio State fans have it really good right now. There is a lot to like about a situation where Ohio State's worst, most frightening moment of the year comes after a win, an 11-point win, over a number 8-ranked team in the country. Ohio State won this game leading 55 out of 60 minutes. They had a 21-point lead early in the third quarter after the opening second half, second half opening touchdown. They outgained Penn State by over 200 yards. It was a dominant performance that wound up being closer than it probably should have because Ohio State had a few rare mistakes that almost cost them the game. I don't mean to minimize those mistakes because if you want to be, you can call it nitpicky, I'll call it technical. If you want to be technical, Ohio State has had two games in a row where they are a little bit sloppy. I mentioned this after the Rutgers game. It was mostly dismissed as being too nitpicky. And it's fair to say that maybe that was just an issue of boredom, of lack of focus, because they've been having games go so easily for them. Ironically, they got sloppy in that game after getting up 21-0 as well. Although I would argue the sloppiness was definitely persistent in the first half, even when it was only 7 nothing after the first quarter and 14 nothing at halftime. I even mentioned on Twitter that I thought 
there's good news and bad news. The good news was Ohio State was, in fact, winning dominantly as far as yards and just outright controlling the line of scrimmage and overall performance. But the bad news was the errors were there. The ill-timed penalties, the fumble at the one-yard line by Justin Fields, some little mistakes that were kicking them in the butt. And the one thing that has actually been persistent with Ohio State all year long is first down. I know it seems so nitpicky, but first down play calling for Ohio State. First down production, not necessarily play calling, but first down production. And as I said, I will get to the play calling thing because I have a theory on that. But the first down production this year has been a little bit to be desired for Ohio State. They've gotten away with it and become one of the best offenses in the country because they are performing in a third down situation that is far beyond what teams usually perform. In fact, not only are they number one in the country in third down conversions right now, but at 58%, they're converting at a higher rate than anybody in college football has done in over 10 years. So Ohio State is they have not been very good on first down, but they've gotten away with it because they've been so dominant on third down. I think the play calling a little bit and just overall performance on first down is of a little bit of a concern because I don't think you want to continue getting in that hole where you have to make up longer yardages and distances against, let's say, a team like Clemson. You don't want to be in long situations on second and third down against that team. They will pin the ears back and come after Ohio State. And if we know there is one concern, one area of concern with Ohio State, it has been pass protection, especially against blitzes. The empty sets that Ohio State had against Penn State on Saturday were a little bit of an issue because those empty sets allowed Penn State to come after Ohio State with blitzes. And they were hoping that they would get there before Fields had time to get rid of the ball. And most of the time, they actually did. Ohio State wasn't fooling anyone with the quarterback draws in those situations. So there are some issues here. Ohio State, a little sloppy against Rutgers, a little sloppy in the first half against Penn State. This is the problem. Because Ohio State had a chance to go up 21, maybe even 28 points in the first half, they were not able to put the game away quick enough to have those mistakes come back to roost. So what ended up happening is those mistakes, because the game wasn't put away in the first half, those mistakes allowed Penn State to get back in the game in the second half. And next thing you know, it goes from 21-0 to 21-17 and and what felt like a blink of an eye. I'm going to give them a pass on the first touchdown drive. Sean Clifford gets hurt, goes to the sideline. The backup quarterback, Levis, comes in. He did a great job. You got to give him credit. Ohio State, though, it's just like any time... The game completely changes. You have a new quarterback, a new rhythm. Penn State changes their play calling a bit. They change their tempo. It really changed everything in the flow of the game. And Ohio State, I don't think that they did a bad job with Levis in there, but that first drive, they weren't ready for it. It's just like the Nebraska drive where they came out, come out old school under center in, you know, back several weeks ago. Ohio State wasn't ready for it, but they adjusted. They called a timeout, and then they stopped it. And that's what happened here. Now, Ohio State did give up 10 more points after that drive, but those came after turnovers in their own territory. So there are some issues here, and we'll talk more about how they apply to Michigan or may apply to Michigan in the second segment in the rest of the week. By the way, we will not be having a Thanksgiving Day episode this week, but I will be back 
So I'll have shows Monday through Friday or Monday through Wednesday, and then I'll be back on Friday. So we'll, but we'll get into more Michigan stuff in the second segment and later in the week. But here's the deal. So here's what I think happened. So I don't mean to bury the lead, but I'm trying to set the context here. So Ohio State has had a series of dominant performances all year long. The coaching staff knows this. The fans know this. Opposing teams know this. Opposing teams have actually, you mentioned, you you heard Ross Fulton last week. He even said teams know Ohio State's situation. They know they're dominant. They know they're going vanilla. They're using it against Ohio State, knowing that they're so much better than they are. They can change their play calling defensive and, and offensively change their scheme a little bit to take advantage of no things they know Ohio State will not do against them because there's no reason to. So Ohio State knows this as well. I really believe, based on what I saw, the play calling was a concern for me. I didn't like it. I don't agree with it. I think it was overly conservative. I think it let Penn State come back into the game. Not necessarily the turnovers, because the turnovers directly let Penn State back in the game. But I think Ohio State's conservatism may have cost them the ability to put that game back out of reach sooner or even after. But here's what I believe happened. This is a theory. It's a working theory based on some things I've been told, both privately, both in private and some comments I read from players, especially Coach Ryan Day after the game. I think Ohio State went into that half knowing you're up 14-0. There is rain forecast to be coming in the second half. Now, I don't think the rain actually had much effect on that game. It sprinkled a couple times in the second half. It never really rained. The field was a little slippery. You saw some slips out there. But that turf, the artificial turf, is always slippery. Even in dry games, you've seen guys slipping. So I don't think the rain had much of an impact there. I definitely do not believe the fumbles had anything to do with rain. But if you are the coaching staff going into halftime, you know this. You know you're up 14 nothing. You know you've dominated. You know your defense is playing a lights-out performance. But you also know that you have a chance to play a physical team getting ready for another physical game the next week and possibly some really important games coming up in the college football playoff. If you are confident in your team, like I'm sure Ryan Day and his staff are, they're not going to say this publicly, but you, ha- you have to be feeling good, even up only 14 nothing with the mistakes. You have to feel good about where you are going into the second half. I believe from what I saw in this game, Ohio State having 73% of their play calls were runs, 70 76% were runs on first down. The season averages, by the way, is something like 55 or 55-45 in terms of run-pass ratio. I think Ohio State went into this at halftime saying, and maybe not maybe not communicating this to the players, but as a coaching staff communicating with each other, I think they said, hey, let's go out in the second half. We get the ball first. Let's cram it down their throats. Let's get up 21-0. And let's sit on this thing. Let's go ultra conservative. Let's go vanilla with the play calling. We don't need to pass the ball much. We don't need to do too many more quarterback runs. Let's see what happens if we can sit on this lead just by running the ball, being physical, and being tougher than they are. Because I think what Ohio State is doing in that situation, I think they're playing the long game. 
they want to see if they can close out the game by just being tougher than Penn State and create a little manufactured adversity because they haven't had it all year. This was the first opponent that was going to fight back, that was good enough to fight back. It's one thing to be tough enough to try to throw some jabs after you've been knocked down to the to the mat a couple times, but to be able to get up and talented enough to get up and throw the jabs back. Penn State is the first team that Ohio State has played since Wisconsin that was good enough to do that. So I think Ryan Day said, you know what, let's create a little adversity here against a really physical, talented, skilled team. Let's sit on this lead, be conservative, and let's see how our offense and our defense reacts. Put them in situations where they still have to perform down the stretch. I think Ohio State did that, not just to be vanilla in play calling and hide plays from Michigan and hide plays and potentially the Big Ten Championship and college football playoff, but I think they really wanted to see how the team would react if it got within a touchdown or two. They didn't foresee going from 21 nothing to 21-17 just like that. That was not part of the plan. Those fumbles changed it a little bit. But I think they still wanted to ride that out. If if they had to be forced to make plays in a game-winning drive, I think they were perfectly confident in Justin Fields' ability to do that. I don't think this was a referendum on Fields. This wasn't a lack of trust. They were fine with him throwing the ball. He threw the ball in the first half of much heavier rain against Wisconsin. This wasn't a toughness issue. Now, I will say this. Justin Fields, this is the first game in his lifetime where he's been on the field with guys as talented as he was. That's that's really the first time. It wasn't even against Wisconsin. For as good as Wisconsin's defense was, they were not as fast or skilled as this Penn State defense. This is the first time in his life where he had to make plays against defensive linemen that could outrun him, or at least keep up with him. I wouldn't say outrun, but could keep up with him. He's not accustomed to that. So this was a it's not that he is lacking in physicality or toughness. I just don't think he's ever been in a situation where he's had to show it. This is the really the first time for him. Think back all the games. He didn't start last year at Georgia. All the games he's played this year have been blowouts. He actually had a game where he had to exhibit some toughness, and he's just not been put in that situation. And I think he handled it admirably. I don't understand the criticism of Justin Fields. I thought he handled it pretty well. You can critique the fumbles, but it's not a toughness issue. I thought he he took a lot of shots. He got back up. I thought he was pretty tough in this game. So Ohio State may not have foreseen Penn State scoring 17 straight points in, in the blink of an eye, but they got what they wanted. They wanted their team to get some adversity going into next week. I think that part was by design. They wanted to be ultra conservative, do the bare minimum that was expected. You, I'm thinking of the Chachi's, Chachki's flair in uh, Office Space. Do you want to do the bare minimum or do you want to go above and beyond? Uh, but Ohio State wanted the bare minimum here. I really believe that, that they wanted Penn State to keep getting off the mat, taking shots from them, and go into the Michigan game next week having been tougher for it, having a four-quarter contest. I think Ryan Day is an evil genius, and he may not have expected it to be 21 nothing. all of a sudden 21-17 within 10 minutes of, of game time. He may not have thought that would happen, 
But I bet you this was by design. He liked what he saw. He had an opportunity against a tough physical team, a really talented team, had a chance to put his team in a position to have to make plays. That's all he wanted. He wanted a four-quarter game where they still had to execute at a high level, and he did it by purposely putting it as offense at a slight disadvantage. If you need to drive the ball, you need to be tougher than this team right here. You need to go out and make plays and execute your blocks so that in the fourth quarter, if we need to take over the game by running it, I want to see if you can do it. The pass game was there if they wanted it. Penn State's secondary was not all that great coming into this game. Ohio State had a chance. I Justin Fields completed 75% of his passes. Ohio State could have come out in the second half and thrown the ball for another 150, 200 yards. I really believe that. But they didn't want to do that, not because of the rain, but because they wanted to make a statement to their players. And you heard Ryan Day say it after the game. He said, it's one thing to go out there and tell your players you have to do this, where they look at you and say, okay, coach, sarcastically. It's another thing to go out and do it against a game like Penn State when all of a sudden Penn State comes back from 21 down and has it within a touchdown at four points going into the fourth quarter. Then you've got your team's attention. Then they look at you, and this is Ryan Day. Okay, coach, now I get you. And that's what Ryan Day, I think, what Ryan Day and his staff wanted. I really believe I was frustrated with the play calling. I don't agree with it. I'm not even sure if I agree with this strategy, but it's my theory that Ryan Day was perfectly happy being conservative. So, of course, he wanted to win the game, but I don't think he thinks the best approach to winning the game was being conservative. I think he felt this was a longer game he's playing. Get the team ready for Michigan this week. Do that by putting them in a situation where they are forced to finally see adversity in a four-quarter game. Can you make the plays to get it done and, and do it in a physical way where you just have to be tougher than your opponent? So Ryan Day, I think, was playing, you might call it the long con, you know, from Lost with Sawyer. I think he was playing the long con here. I don't think he was conservative because he felt he needed to to win the game. I think he felt like he could still pass. We've seen him be more aggressive in bigger bigger spreads than this. I think Ryan Day was thinking ahead. He wanted his team ready for Michigan. He wanted his team ready for the Big Ten Championship or any adversity they might see in the college football playoff. Ryan Day, that dude is an evil genius. I'm convinced that was his goal. He may not have seen it getting as close as it did, but his team answered the bell, and that's what he was looking for. Coming up in segment two, I'll tell you why Michigan is vulnerable despite their success offensively. And we'll talk some Ohio State basketball in the third segment. Ohio State opens up as a nine-point favorite at Ann Arbor, Michigan this week. I'm not going to be the guy trying to tell you, oh, Lordy, Michigan is coming. you got to be careful. They've won so many games in a row. They're, uh, they're a real threat to beat Ohio State not going to be that guy. I will start by saying this, in interest of fairness, in interest of objectivity, this Michigan team is definitely playing much better. Your eyes do not deceive you. They are playing better, a lot better than they were earlier. I'll tell you what's happened. They have gotten tougher on defense. They're really bearing down, stopping the run. 
They're not giving up as many big plays in the secondary. Offensively, the offensive line has gotten better. They're protecting, especially in pass protection, better than they were early in the year. The receivers have gotten more production. Uh, some bigger plays added in. A lot of that is to, attributed to Ronnie Bell. Their other receivers are not big play guys. They're not taking to the house off an 80-yard screen. You know, They're not Bama's receivers, but they're good. They've gotten better. Shea Patterson had an injury earlier in the year. It was affecting his throwing motion and his arm. You may have seen so many rainbows and lollipops he was throwing early in the season. That is because he had an injury that they were nursing. That's not a guess. That comes from the same source that I got some stuff off of the whole Zach Charbonnet injury deal. So Patterson is is healthy now. He's throwing a lot better. He's throwing more consistent. The last three games, two of those games, he's thrown for 11 and 12 yards an attempt. Michigan is a better football team. They're not turning it over as much. Patterson's not as erratic. He's completing more passes, being more efficient. They're blocking better. They're defending better. They're stopping the run better. They're tackling really, really well. One of the top 10 tackling teams in college football now. So you look at this Michigan team, it is balanced. It is really good. There is no denying Michigan is good enough to beat Ohio State. Don't go to bed this week being overconfident, thinking Michigan is just same old Michigan, Ohio State, the same old Ohio State, that Ohio State is going to roll to Michigan because that's the way it's been for the last seven meetings. That's the way it's been for most of the last 20 years. But I will say, despite the fact that I'm urging you not to be overconfident, there is one thing, two things really, I think, that are in Ohio State's favor, that when I analyze this game, I think Ohio State is in really good shape. The first, as I mentioned earlier in the first segment, they were sloppy against Rutgers. They were sloppy against Ohio State. Or, uh, uh, so, I'm sorry, Ohio State was sloppy against Rutgers and Penn State. I don't think that that is cause for too much concern. I think those were blips on the radio, radar, two different situations. They happen to be back-to-back, but I don't think this is a sign of an upcoming trend. I could be wrong on that. That could be something that could come back to haunt Ohio State if they if they start turning the ball over a lot. Then you've got an issue. But assuming my hunch is correct that this is not a long-term, ongoing issue for Ohio State, I don't see the sloppiness being an issue against Michigan or going forward. Where Ohio State really, I think, shapes up looking good in this matchup against Michigan is I look at the Michigan team, and despite the fact that they're scoring a lot more points, their pass game has been more efficient, Shea Patterson playing better, there is still a wart. If you listen to the media, they're acting like the Michigan run game has been so good ever since the second half against Penn State. That's always the reference point that they cite with Michigan. Against Notre Dame, it was really good. They rushed for over 300 yards against Notre Dame. But since then, in the three games since they, they've played Notre Dame, that being Maryland, that being Rutgers, and that being Indiana, uh, they have averaged, or I'm sorry, Michigan State, Maryland, and Indiana. I knew that th- that didn't sound right after I played it back in my head. They have rushed for 325 yards on 93 carries in those three games since. If, if you're math deficient, that's just a little over 100 yards a game on 30 carries. That's three and a half yards a carry that they've averaged against Maryland, Michigan State, and Indiana since that Notre Dame game. So Michigan is not running the ball well. And this is a problem for Michigan if it continues against Ohio State. Now, they could come out 
against Ohio State run for 250, 300 yards. I certainly don't expect that. But theoretically speaking, it's possible. We just don't know what happens. The games aren't played on paper. Sometimes weird things happen. Nobody saw Tim Biakabatuka running for 313 yards against Ohio State in 1995. So it happens. But if Michigan runs for the same success level or less against Ohio State, that's problematic because here's the thing. No matter how well Shea Patterson is playing, you don't want, if you're a Michigan fan, you do not want Shea Patterson dropping back 40 times against his Ohio State defense trying to win. That's a recipe for disaster because I can promise you if he throws it 40 times, you're looking at two or three interceptions and who knows how many sacks. My man Chris Drew over on Unscripted Ohio said it best. Chase Young is averaging a sack every 11 or 12 dropbacks right now. 11.8 to be exact. If he, if Michigan drops back 40 times, that's three to four sacks more for Chase Young against Michigan. And that doesn't even include all of the pass rush that's coming from the other Ohio State defensive linemen. Cornell, Hamilton, Smith. There are a lot of guys that are getting to the quarterback right now. You do not want, if you're Michigan, to be in a situation where you have to pass to win. You need balance, otherwise you are not beating Ohio State. You are not going to be efficient enough to pass the ball against this Ohio State defense with any regularity. Ohio State, I posted this stat on Twitter. This is the most amazing thing that I could possibly tell you about this Ohio State defense. They have given up, they have had 96 drives against them that started within their opponent's only, uh, uh, under their opponent's 40-yard line. So 96 drives where the opponent would have to go at least 60 yards in order to score. And that is excluding garbage time. I could give you the definition of what I uh, use for garbage time, but it's really not important. Let's just say it takes into account how many points you're ahead by in the second half and how many possessions the opponent has remaining in the rest of the game. So I factored out garbage time. 96 drives Ohio State defense has had where the opponent started the drive behind their own 40-yard line. In those 96 possessions, Ohio State has given up three touchdowns. The touchdown that they gave up to Penn State in the second half with the backup quarterback coming in for Clifford was just the third time an opponent has scored a touchdown on Ohio State having to go more than 60 yards this season. So if you're Michigan, you you cannot pass the ball against Ohio State and, and hope to win. You have to be able to run it and pass it because Ohio State will not give up anything easy. They especially will not give up just you passing them to death. They are going to get to you. They're going to sack you. They're going to make you lose yardage. You're going to have so many third and 12, third and 13, 15 yard situations to go. And you're not going to do it against this Ohio State defense. This Ohio State defense is playing the best ball of anybody in the country, except maybe Clemson. And I would argue because of the competition that Ohio State is more impressive than Clemson. LSU, by the way, has given up 23 yard or 23 touchdowns in 86 of the same drives as Ohio State. So 23 touchdowns in 86 possessions for LSU. Ohio State defense giving up three and 96. It is a dominant defense. Michigan has to be able to run the ball if they want to win on Saturday. I'm not saying they can't or won't, but I'm saying they haven't been. Three and a half yards of carry the last three weeks. That will not cut it against Ohio State. And that, to me, as we preview this game the rest of the week, 
that is the stat that stands out for me and why I'm not in panic mode about this Michigan success. I'm not saying it's fool's gold because it's not. They're playing a lot better. They really are. But they cannot and will not beat Ohio State if they don't have success running the ball. And that has not changed recently. They are not running it very well. And if they can't run it against Maryland or Michigan State or Indiana, I don't see them running it very well against Ohio State. So we'll have more on that game coming up the rest of the week in the last three episodes. Remember, we are not going to be around for Thanksgiving. But Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, we'll talk more about this game. Coming up, third segment, Ohio State back in action in basketball tonight. I'll tell you about the performance against Purdue Fort Wayne and more coming up. Ohio State basketball is back in action. That is tonight at 6.30 p.m., Monday evening, that is to say, a Big Ten Network tip-off. Again, 6.30, and the unique thing about this game, Kent State is actually a decent mid-major this year, could provide tough competition for Ohio State, toughest they've had since Cincinnati to open the season, although that Villanova team is pretty good too. But Ohio State facing Kent State tonight, that is in St. John Arena, it is the what they are calling kind of an annual trip to St. John Arena. They actually hope to get one or two games in there per season for the foreseeable future, which I think is really cool, much better atmosphere. I know there are a lot of complications and obstacles for why they can't go back to St. John Arena, not to mention all the money that was poured into the Schottenstein Center, the renovations, the mortgage that I'm sure they're still paying on. There are a lot of different reasons why. Uh, a trip back to St. John Arena on a permanent basis would not work. But man, I love that place. Been around since 1956. It is a great place, great atmosphere for college basketball. So the Buckeyes will be there tonight, 6.30 on BTN against Kent State. If you missed the game on Friday, Ohio State beating Purdue-Fort Wayne 85-46. I know many of you did not see this game since it was only being televised. It wasn't being televised. It was being streamed on BTN plus. You have to have a monthly subscription to see that. So many of you did not see this game. There's not much to say other than Ohio state dominated as much as the score indicates 46 points against this team or 46 points allowed against this team is actually pretty good because Purdue Fort Wayne is not a very good team. But they are a decent offense. So for Ohio State to hold this team to 46 points, I think says a lot, continues to say a lot about this team's defense. They can get up in your grill and defend. They are top three nationally right now in defensive field goal percentage allowed. So this team continues to score. I thought C.J. Walker looked really, really good against Purdue-Fort Wayne. Caleb Wesson had another nice game. All in all, very solid, balanced team balanced performance, I should say, and we are saying it a lot about this team. It is a balanced team. The only thing I want to see more of is consistency from shooting, not with any single one guy, but just on a consistent basis. I want to see more guys be consistent from the perimeter with their shooting. If that comes around, Ohio State is dangerous. They have Morgan State coming up 9 p.m. on Big Ten Network on Friday, and the next Wednesday is the big one. Ohio State goes on the road to Chapel Hill for a test against top five North Carolina in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So Ohio State has two more warm-up games to really work on the offensive efficiency, maybe eliminate a few defensive snafus here and there, and then they go on the road for the biggest game of the season so far, which will tell us a lot, not necessarily in terms of whether they win or lose the game, 
but just how they play against a tough team in a tough environment on the road. First road game of the year, you never know what to expect, especially from a young, inexperienced team. So we will find that out next Wednesday. But until then, Kent State, Monday night, Morgan State, Friday night. We'll talk a little bit about those games when they happen. And then, of course, we will preview the big one against North Carolina in the episodes of Locked on Buckeyes next week. That's going to do it for Locked on Buckeyes today. Hope you continue to to pass along the good word about the show. Tell people about it. They can find us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, including Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Play it on your smart speakers. Find the show on Twitter at LockedOnBuckeye. Find me on Twitter at KYLamb8. As I said, we'll be back Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. We'll take off for Thanksgiving, and then we'll be back again on Friday with a preview of the game. It's Ohio State-Michigan week here on Locked on Buckeyes. Thanks for taking a time to listen. We'll be back on Tuesday. Enjoy your day, everybody.